Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360. I'm your moderator, Amanda Balby, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. My guest today is Dr. Julian Bales, who is a neurosurgeon at North Shore University Health System and chairman of the Department of Neurosurgery at North Shore and co-director of the North Shore Neurological Institute. He joins us today to discuss traumatic brain injury, including mild traumatic brain injury or concussion, as well as chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Bales. You're welcome. To start, what would you say are some of the best practices for managing traumatic brain injury in general? Traumatic brain injury has been and continues to be somewhat of a vexing problem uh, for the physicians taking care of these patients. And, you know, there's different grades from severe down to moderate to mild. There's been an explosion in interest and recognition and and really the care of patients with so-called mild brain injury or concussion particularly as it relates to sports and athletics and uh, in some cases the military. So the spectrum is important to understand. Severe TBI or traumatic brain injury is probably dropped in incidence the last uh, two or three decades due to implementation of safety measures, particularly for automobile use and seatbelt and airbag uh, restraint of passengers and drivers. So the spectrum is important to understand and really guides us in sort of categorizing how TBI is considered. Mm -hmm. Severe TBI is coma-producing, defined by many people as being at lasso coma scale score of 8 or less. And those most commonly result from automobile accidents or falls, other types of industrial accidents. So they result in a so-called high-velocity injury to the the head and and subsequently the brain. And they're associated with uh, varying degrees of either brain swelling, brain contusion or bruising, or brain hemorrhage. The standard fire diagnosis uh, starts with a CAT scan or CT scan of the head. And that's what most patients even today routinely get when they're first evaluated uh, ordinarily in emergency departments. There are other more sophisticated tests for TBI that are more commonly used later in the hospitalization, like MRI or perhaps some sort of nuclear medicine imaging study or some study looking at the, uh, the vasculature, like CT angiogram or digital subtraction angiogram. And then there are different functional studies looking at how the brain is functioning and performing. But CAT scan remains the gold standard and remains the initial diagnostic tool upon presentation or admission to the hospital. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. What would you say are the diagnostic challenges associated with concussion? Concussion, other people call it mild traumatic brain injury, although we like to think now there's no such thing as a mild brain injury, has had literally an explosion of interest and incidents, or at least the incidents of being diagnosed uh, during the last decade. 
And the issues for a concussion are that it is often an injury that has an elusive diagnosis. You may not be able to see any effect on the patient externally, or they may not have any deficits on neurological examination. But really, we depend on the, the history, what happened to them. How did they hit their head, or how were they hit? And the symptom checklist is the most common way that the diagnosis of mild TBI or concussion is made because, by definition, they shouldn't have brain swelling or brain hemorrhage or any other uh, abnormality seen on CAT scan. So the symptom checklist uh, is what alerts the physician as well as the history of how it happened, what happened to them. And the most common symptoms are uh, dizziness, headache, uh, feeling as if in a fog, uh, balance problems, uh, amnesia, later difficulty at school or work. And many times it's uh, ocular or even vestibular, inner ear effects of concussion. We don't depend ordinarily on scans, although many times, especially in emergency departments, CAT scans are done sort of routinely or reflexly to rule out any kind of more serious injury. Concussion also is aided in the diagnosis uh, subsequently by uh, neuropsychological testing, and there are various forms uh, of computerized neuropsychological testing, the most common being impact test, which is the way that the neural neuropsychological function, things like verbal memory, visual memory, reaction time, and other measures uh, can be quantified, especially with a computer-administered test that really can quantify and measure response times. So the next step would be to treat the patient. Can you talk a little bit about treatment options for patients with concussion? And at what stage of the treatment course would you say surgery comes into play? For severe traumatic brain injury, we're looking as neurosurgeons for traumatically induced hemorrhages or blood clots. So subdural hematoma is the most common traumatically induced uh, injury in patients with severe brain injury. They can also have uh, epidural hematomas. They can have skull fractures. They can have skull fractures with bleeding. And they can have clots in the brain itself, parenchymal clots. And sometimes the parenchymal clots, and many times, if not most times, subdural hematomas and epidural hematomas are surgically removed. Now, as a neurosurgeon, we also get involved once that patient is admitted to the intensive care unit, whether or not they had surgery, to uh, ascertain and to follow the intracranial pressure. And that's often uh, done by placement of intracranial pressure monitor, either in the ventricle itself or in the brain parenchyma or the epidural space. So there's different types to put monitors, but utilizing the uh, measures of intracranial pressure is very helpful, especially in patients who have had a severe TBI and who are technically in a coma. And what about sports players who've had multiple concussions? Well, the re- return to players after an athletic injury is uh, uh, done with great consideration for many factors, and 
The issue of repetitive mild traumatic brain injury is also very important and very timely because we know that if someone goes back or tries to go back to playing sports and they hit their head again, the effects of a concussion, which is not completely healed, can return or be amplified and even lead to longer-term problems, problems with school, problems with work if they're employed, problems returning to their sport safely and effectively. And the issue of repetitive traumatic brain injury, even if so-called mild or concussion, can lead to, in some cases, the concern for chronic brain injury, brain or neurodegeneration, such as chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE. Mm. And with CTE, currently there isn't a way to make a living diagnosis, but do you think there might be a way in the future to make a living diagnosis of CTE? You know, making a living diagnosis of CTE or even living diagnosis of the beginnings of brain degeneration through the accumulation of abnormal tau, TAU protein deposits. Tau protein is the major structural protein of the brain, and we know it's uh, subjected to being injured uh, with uh, concussive or mild traumatic brain injury, and it can be injured again and again. It can begin to accumulate. So the diagnosis of that phenomenon of those proteins in the brain, just like Alzheimer's disease, is made by, by autopsy. So it doesn't do a patient very good if we can only make a diagnosis after they're dead. So I've been working with a group at UCLA uh, the last six, seven years looking at PET scanning. And PET scanning utilizes, in this case, a radionuclide or a pharmaceutical that that is injected intravenously and it binds to the tau protein if it's accumulated. And we feel that uh, with the world's largest experience, we can see a very characteristic picture of CTE-type changes, accumulation of tau, in densities and in locations of the brain not seen with other forms of neurodegeneration. So we uh, hope to begin a phase three FDA-approved trial in the very near future, and that would really help uh, define the standards and the uh, accuracy of uh, this sort of testing. So overall, what would you say the key takeaway message is regarding managing or treating concussion? The foundation of treating someone with mild TBI or concussion involves removing them from further exposure until their symptoms have cleared. And we've talked previously about what the common symptoms are, and it's a variable time before they resolve in in patients, and especially the athletic population who is prone to, if they return to play, getting a second or another uh, hit to the head is very possible. The diagnosis of concussion, as I've already mentioned, is primarily made by the symptom checklist uh, with the history of head impact and bolstered many times by neuropsychological testing. The radiographic CAT scan MRI evidence of concussion is not very common and generally not helpful. If patients continue to have symptoms uh, following concussion, there are four areas 
that are commonly treated with prescription pharmaceuticals, and that is lack of sleep, lack of energy, another is depression, and probably the most common is treating migraines or headaches. And in many cases, we found out that the concussion probably involves, to a great extent, the inner ear or the vestibular apparatus. And so vestibular therapy and cognitive therapy are often very beneficial. So that's sort of the common management. And again, players are held out until he or she resolve and the symptoms have all gone away. Thank you very much for joining us today and sharing your knowledge on these important topics. Well, thank you for having me. It was great to be with you today.